Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. chapter 3, beginning at the 10th verse. When God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster which he said he would bring on them, and he did not carry it out. But to Jonah, all this seemed very bad, and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, Lord, wasn't this exactly what I said when I was still in my own country? that this is why I previously fled the Tarshish, because I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and you relent from sending disaster. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city. He made a shelter for himself there and sat in the shade under it, waiting to see what would happen in the city. Then the Lord God provided a plant and made it grow up over Jonah to provide shade over his head, to relieve him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm and it attacked the plant so that it withered. When the the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. So he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah said, I do have a right to be angry, angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. You did not work for it or make it grow. It grew up in one night and perished after one night. So should I not be concerned for Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, and also many animals. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 9, beginning of the sixth verse. This does not mean that God's word has failed, because not all of you who are descended from Israel are really Israel, and not all who are descended from Abraham are really his children. On the contrary, your line of descent will be traced through Isaac. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are counted as his descendants. For this is what the promise said. I will arrive at this set time and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebekah also had children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Even before the twins were born or did anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might continue, 
not by works, but because of him who calls us. It was written to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob, I loved, but Esau I hated. What will we say then? Does this mean that God is unjust? Absolutely not. For God says to Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will I show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. The word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded. It is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20, beginning at the first verse. Jesus said to his disciples, Indeed, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing to pay the workers a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. He also went out about the third hour and saw others standing unemployed in the marketplace. To these, he said, you also go into the vineyard, and I will give you what is right. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. When, it, when he went out about the eleventh hour, he found others standing unemployed. He said to them, why have you stood here all day unemployed? They said to him, because no one hired us. He told them, you also go into the vineyard. When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group and ending with the first. When those who were hired around the eleventh hour came, they each received a denarius. When those who were hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but they each received a denarius too. After they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were last worked one hour, and you made us equal, you made them equal to us, who have endured the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not make an agreement with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to the last one hired the same as I also gave to you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? In the, in the same way, the last will be first and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, I bet every pastor who has faithfully preached and taught God's word to another has had probably in more fingers than any of us have the number of times someone will take a Bible class and about ooh, maybe three times in, maybe up to five, all of a sudden they call to tell you they're not going to come. And when you inquire why, the answer is usually the same. It's because I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life to God. I did the prayers. I went to church at least once. I did all the godly stuff. 
life is still in ruin. Why doesn't God make everything right? Why doesn't God turn my life around? I gave my life for him. I worked for him. And it's as if we're trying to set up a bargain with God. God, I'll do this if you'll do this. We can do this as even Christians who have been a Christian one's entire life. We can easily fall into the trap of, of being frustrated with God, maybe to the point of like jealousy and envy. We look at somebody else and, well, they don't even believe in the Lord. And look at how, how, how they have it all better. Look at how the Lord blesses them and they seem to have all the money and, and I'm always seem short and I'm always seem suffering and, and, and why do they always have it better? Don't I deserve more because I'm a Christian? By the way, even the apostles questioned about don't they deserve more? Even Peter himself asked Jesus a question, especially with the understanding that we've been your apostles who've been following you. They gave up their life for him. They gave up their livelihood for him. And that should certainly deserve a reward. In fact, here's how Peter put it. Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Amen, I tell you, in the renewal when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left homes or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Now the Lord, in answer to Peter's question, continues to answer it, but in a form of a parable. He does this because the Lord knows what can easily be at the heart of any time we feel we deserve something and God now owes it to us. And what easily is behind it is that envy and jealousy. Jesus warns against it. As I said, in the form of a parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, we're, we're told here in the beginning that this parable is like the kingdom of heaven. Now, a kingdom is where a king rules. And, of course, Jesus rules in our hearts by his holy word. But we also know that our Lord who not only paid for our sins on the cross, rose again with the assurance that our sins are paid in full, ascended into heaven. We know he's ruling the universe for the good of the church and for the saving of souls and all to his glory. So when I hear that phrase that a parable is like uh, the kingdom of God, that tells me immediately that the Lord himself is humbling himself and opening the door to his heart and mind. And what a privilege and honor it is to actually see what God is thinking. So it is with that love and care that we 
this parable. The parable is about a landowner. He has a vineyard. That was pretty common. So this is a, a parable that, that, that the people could easily relate. They would see the big fields of vineyards and, and the workers out there, especially at harvest time. The Lord Jesus takes advantage of that kind of knowledge. And so there was a landowner, and he went out and got workers for his harvest. And he tells them that when they go out, he will give them a denarius. Now, a denarius was a Roman silver coin, and it was worth a day's wages. It was a fair day's wages. This was pretty common. So he didn't cheat them by offering them less in order to try to save more money for himself. And it was, it was a common pay. People accepted that kind of pay for one day's worth of work. But notice in here that they agreed to this one day worth of work. Notice also that it was the landowner that invited them, called them to come and work in his vineyard. They didn't actually ask him to come and work. They didn't fill out a job application. Everything came from the, from the landowner. They responded to his invitation. And they would receive a denarius. So they went out to work. About the third hour, we're told, the landowner went out again looking for more workers. Now, the average day was from 6 in the morning till 6 at night. It was a 12-hour work day. So if we're at the third hour, then that tells us immediately we're at 9 o'clock in the morning. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out and invites others to come. Now, he didn't say he would offer them a denarius. He just offered them what is right. Obviously, the landowner must be a trustworthy person because these workers were willing to accept what he said was right. And they went and worked in his vineyard. Now came the sixth hour. That would bring us to 12 o'clock noon. Once again, he goes to the marketplace, finds workers, and tells them to go out into his vineyard. And, no doubt, he would give them what is right. It is now the ninth hour. So we're at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He once again goes to the marketplace. There are people still uh, not working. And so he invites them to come and work in his vineyard. No doubt giving them, promising them what is right. And then comes the 11th hour, one hour before quitting time. He still finds others unemployed, not working. They haven't worked all day. He invites them to come into his vineyard to work, no doubt promising that he would give them what is right. And now comes the time for payment. The landowner informs the foreman to start with those that came last and end with those who came first. And the foreman, instructed by the landowner, gives one denarius to the ones that only worked one hour. To those that, that worked less than a full day, they each got a denarius. 
When it came to the last ones, last ones were figuring since we've been here all day, we just certainly deserve more. He's certainly going to give us more because isn't that what is right? And he gave them a denarius. And they grumbled because they were appalled. They were upset. They were disgusted, obviously, with this landowner. We've worked all day. We deserve more. And are we not tempted to sympathize with these? Yes, they work the burden of the day, as they said. They got the sunburns. The guys who worked only one hour, they didn't get very burned. They, they are the ones who had suffered all day. They are the ones that are probably bleeding in their hands, picking from these grapes, off these plants. They probably got the scars to show it. Don't we deserve more? Shouldn't we get more? You owe us more. Yes, they grumbled and complained. And once again, can't we easily sympathize with them? Because it sounds like they perhaps should get more. Well, in answer to that, let's look at the parable from the heavenly meaning. The landowner has to be God. Because we know from Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The workers have to be the believers. Those that would work in his vineyard. Those who have been called by the landowner to come and serve. And remember, we have the greatest command ever when Jesus himself told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Our vineyard is the entire world as we witness and proclaim the holy, night, holy name of Christ with everyone we meet. So what is the denarius? What is the gift that we all receive and that God himself gives us an equal amount? Is it not salvation itself? And when we think of salvation, I cannot help but think of the cross of Christ and the sacrifice he made on the cross for the sins of the world. It was on the cross that, that Jesus, in paying for those sins, won for us the forgiveness of sins. That's salvation. And, and it was the Lord Jesus who, along with winning that forgiveness of sins, won for us the sure hope that heaven is our home. Is that not the ultimate goal and the ultimate desire of all Christians? Because we know there, that's the place where there'll be no more sin or suffering or pain. And there'll be no more death. It'll be a place of eternal joy. And Jesus won for that, won that for us. And the assurance is his resurrection. Yes, all praise and glory to our Lord in blessing us with this denarius. And yet, what is the grumbling? I deserve more. I've been a Christian all my life. And you're telling me that someone at the end will get the same gift as I do? If I've been a Christian all my life, don't I deserve more? In fact, God, you need to give me more. 
We demand it. You mean the thief on the cross, whom Jesus said today you will be with me in paradise, should not get that paradise? Or if he does get it, it's got to make sure he gets kind of to a, maybe a basement level in heaven. But the disciples who were with him for three years, who really ser served, they should be getting the penthouse place. When in actuality, that's not how heaven is ever described. Don't I deserve more? I've been a Christian all my life. I've given, I put money in the collection plate. I probably put tens of thousands of dollars, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars in the collection plate over the years. And you're telling me that the guy who never put a penny in also gets to go to heaven? Don't I deserve more? In fact, I demand it. Because I deserve it. Do you notice everything that's in common with what I was just saying? <coughs> Everything's common about what I just said was, it's all about me, what's in it for me, what I deserve, what I demand, what I think. This is selfishness. And selfishness, no matter what form it takes, <coughs> is sinful. It is interesting that Jesus in, in replying to the one man, still called him friend. But he said these words also, are you envious because I am generous? Now in the original language, it actually is not literally translated that way. This is very common in the latest translations to use this phrase. I have no problem with the phrase, but if you want to be more specific, what literally Jesus said is, is your eye bad because I am good? If what you see and know is bad, you're putting God as seeing God as bad when in actuality he is good. And by the way, the word bad isn't like the word where you just slap someone on the hand and say, oh, you did a naughty, naughty. This is actually an adjective that comes from the noun that comes from our English word pornography. When he said bad, he said wicked, ungodly. And therefore it doesn't surprise us that the Lord told him to go. Because this kind of thinking doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. My dear friends, this is not how a Christian ought to ever think. What's in it for me? What's best for me? What about me? Jesus replied that the landowner replied that this is his money. He can do with it what he wants. This is his salvation. He can offer it to whoever he wants. And Jesus, since he paid for the sins of the world, he offers this salvation to every precious soul in this world. In fact, what do we all really deserve? None of us deserve salvation. We haven't worked for it. We haven't earned it. We are even by nature sinful, let alone do sinful things. We deserve the punishment of sin, which is death. Anytime we start thinking we deserve more or that God owes us, we're not going the way of God at all. 
in spite of the fact that we deserve nothing from the Lord, it is by God's grace and mercy that we are saved. And that's why we always describe grace and mercy with the words, undeserved love. I don't deserve it, but God still pours it on me. I didn't deserve to have a Savior give his life for me, but he did. And not just for me, but for all. Knowing this, let's apply this word to our lives now. This divine truth that is by God's grace and mercy that we are saved. And therefore, it is by God's grace and mercy that we live. Do you ever feel like life is just crashing in on you? Do you ever feel like you just keep fighting and and every time you take a step forward, it's always two steps back. And maybe in your fighting to try to, try to get ahead, you, you start to get angry with God because, God, I'm doing my part. I'm taking that step ahead. Why are you not helping me more? Why are you not doing your part and, and fighting with me? I, I'm doing most of the work, God. Can't you at least get in there and do a little bit? Maybe you even feel like you're just ready to cry and break down because why is God not there? Why are, is life not better? Why am I so suffering and in pain? And I'm constantly asking this question, why? It may even come to the point where I don't even want to live. God, just take me like Jonah said. I'd rather die than live. And no doubt he meant it. Instead of fighting, my friends, it's time to believe. It's time to trust. It's time to take heart the words of our Savior who said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And repentance is not just being sorry for your sins. At the heart of repentance is faith. Trusting that he paid for those sins. Trusting that when he promises, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, he is there. Trusting in the fact that this very Lord who gave his life for you, blessed you with this glorious, wonderful ministry to share his holy name with others. Trusting and believing that with sins forgiven, heaven is truly our home. For that, we cannot thank him enough. So what is right is not that I get my way, what's in it for me, what's best for me, what I have a right to demand. What is right is knowing that God has showered me with his love that I don't even deserve. He has won for me the victory. He has blessed me with this life. And he has promised me life after this life that will never end. In Christ Jesus, that is truly right. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, 
please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.